Vamos. Now that is the kind of crisp audio engineering that only comes from a professional podcast crew like we have here on the Rec Poker Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone, folks. It's another week of the Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And if you go to rec.poker slash crew, you can find out about me and everyone else on the Wrecking Crew, like this panel of wizards that I get to spend every Monday night uh, talking poker strat with. Panel, why don't you tell the group a little bit about yourselves? I am Chris Jones. I am 5x5 five five on PokerStars Home Game and on Twitter. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. It's true. I've seen the back of his underpants and it's written in there on the waistband, too. He goes everywhere. He's what were you man. doing there, Jim? What were you doing there? <laughs> it was, uh, it that's was pretty uh, bad. It was St. Oswald's Day. It was a special occasion. Oh, that's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. When you bent down to pick up the. It was yeah. this, your second the final trophy. table it was, trophy. It was a, that's yeah. right. You had, it, yeah. <laughs> he had too many trophies on and it was weighing him down. Oh, man. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, we do have a good time on the podcast here. This group of guys does get along pretty well. Um, and I do enjoy the occasional grolsch from time to time. So you can put it at their feet if you like. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Just like every week, I want to thank Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Just like every week, we're playing in the Rec Poker Nightly Home Game, trying to steal each other's chips. And just like every week, we are going to take a post from the Rec.Poker Forums and talk about it here on the show tonight. So this week, we're looking at a post by our friend ARW, Adam Wolf, um, who does these wonderful forum posts that he breaks down all the combos, he talks about opponent's range in a very detailed fashion. Um, so I will tell everyone, like I always do, please go to rec.poker, get a free account, um, and just check out the forum post here for yourself. This one's called blind versus blind and you can get all sorts of great details that we won't touch on tonight but we want to talk just a bit about blind versus blind versus blind dynamic playing wide ranges post flop and um and what that means for our our hand ranging our value betting our bluff catching and just generally how we should be approaching spots like this so right off the bat Let's just talk about blind versus blind play generally. Assuming that we're not heads up, this is going to be a spot where the small blind player, it's folded to them. They have an opportunity to limp or raise, and they're going to be out of position the whole hand. The big blind uh, gets to be in position the whole time. If it was heads up, that would be uh, switched around. But let's just assume that it's not. So in, in, a, in a moment like this, um, if you are the small blind, you have an opportunity to limp in to complete or to open raise. Is there a stack size that like makes that decision for you? Or is there a type of hand that you like to use in those cases? Or is it villain dependent? Or do you just always open raise or panel? Walk me through your thoughts in that moment. What factors into your decision? In a, if it's, if I'm not heads up, I will almost always from the small blind, if I'm going to play it, play it for a raise. Um, I'll never just complete the blind and let the big blind pay, play for free. Because I'm going to be out of position for the entire hand, I also make it a fairly sizable raise. 
uh, larger than if I were in position. Uh, not only that, but you also have the big blind who has a, um, already has a chip in the pot or already has a blind in the pot. So they're getting a discount on whatever they put in. Uh, so I tend to bet fairly large and then I just make my range such that that's a profitable situation. So a fairly tight range. Okay, I just wanna jump on that point there because I know you guys have some other thoughts to share, but we, we often think about like, okay, here's our hand. What's the bet sizing that's right for this hand? And what John's doing is he's thinking about what is the way I want to play my entire range here? Like what's the sizing that my entire range is going to be suited by for this spot? And then he picks the sizing that's going to have the effect on his opponent's range that he wants. And he chooses his own range to fit that sizing. So I think that's a really advanced and sophisticated way to be thinking about this. Cause I think poker is a game of spots, right? It's a, it's a game of leveraging your opponent. And um, if you can find a way to use sizing to make that easier, I think that's, that's really smart reverse engineering it like that. Uh, Chris, I know when you get to heads up, you like to split things up a little bit, but when you're in full ring, what's your take on this? I'm still a big fan of splitting my range. Um, and I like to have uh, in my limping range, it's the, the one position where I, where I have a limping range and I like to construct that with um, most of my premiums, like my really big, you know, aces, kings, queens, I like to limp with. And then I like to um, follow that up, limping it with um, hands that, uh, that are more trashy, <laughs> that are like right at the bottom of the, of the, of the kind of range that I, you know, maybe I wanna see a flop with, if, if the big blind will let me in cheap, but I'm not going to feel too bummed about having to, to pitch it. And then otherwise I do, if I, if I am going to, if I am going to open or, or raise, then I, I like John sizing. I like to, I like to go big uh, from the small bind uh, three and a half to four uh, big blinds, depending on the stack size. Um, and it also is a little bit villain dependent for me. Um, there are aggressive villains where I will limp my entire range and adjust how much I'm raising back. And then there are um, villains where I will only open against. So it, it is dependent, but but uh, if, I, if it's an unknown villain and I'm in this spot, I like to kind of split my range that way. And Chris, is that stack dependent or is that at, at, in, yeah. in, in any spot? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, we're talking, you know, fair, uh, fairly deep stacked. Um, once we get down to, um, you know, once we get a little bit short, then um, I'm shifting to a uh, limp or shove mm -hmm, mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. I think I'm very, very similar to Chris, but um, I definitely will limp a little bit more than um, he does, but I, I do, I think my premiums in a place where I'm not, I don't know who the big blind is or what he's capable of. I'll probably raise my premiums just as I would in any other situation. Um, I'll also raise offsuit King three, for instance, mm. um, hands like that hands with a big 
you know, a big top card and a rag. I don't have any problem um, raising with those. Then now I'll limp with anything that's kind of a what Tommy Angelo calls a straighter, you know, like a seven four. I'll limp with seven four offsuit all day long. Mm -hmm. um, I do have the raises I pick are more of the high card, low card for for bluffing, but I do have a normal raising range, which would be a lot of the premiums, the pairs, and things like that. Um, but I like what he said about villain dependent, because if, if I know that there's a guy that's very, very aggressive, I will change it up and I will limp some of those strong hands, expecting him to try to take the pot away from me. And then I can attack him back again with that premium hand. So in that case, I'm going to change it up a little bit because of the villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems like to me, this is one of those spots where villain tendencies is really important because you're going to be out of position the whole hand you get a chance from the very beginning to start chipping away at their range in a very predictable way and you can kind of you can predict a lot of how this is going to go out um if if you have information on the villain so um i'm always thinking about you know what is my default position and, and just personally i'm more of a default two and a half opener um from the small blind i don't really have a completing range i haven't i haven't um, I haven't made that sophisticated a, uh, I, I love the idea. I, I want to build a whole limping range from every position. I feel like it's this fun part of the decision tree that hasn't been examined properly yet. I know it's, it's kind of ridiculously impossible to do it. Um, but the small blind does feel like somewhere that you could express an edge, a skill edge, um, over your opponents by even out of position, you know, playing small pots against wide ranges uh, and, you know, wide ranges is where um, is where, you know, that's where the real poker players come to play. That's where you get to like play the, the opponent. Yeah. And even though you're out of position because it's a limped pot, when you do this, one of the, the, the things that sort of like you almost have position because you don't like, that's the, one of the things I like about this blind versus blind dynamic is that you can limp, from the small blind if the big blind checks behind you can see bet a lot from the small blind um unlike in most hands where you, where when you're out of position you sort of need to let uh the other player take take the first initiative and you can take down a lot of pots this way um pretty cheaply and pretty uneventfully um, well, but you can take you can even cheaper and less eventfully pre-flop, right? Like against some of those same garbage hands. Like that's the right. tension. Do you ever do you ever feel crystal? So I guess part of this, I don't put myself in the spot very often where I'm now playing these limped pots from the blinds out of position. Do you feel uh, like awkward or like are you in tough spots as a consequence? And how do you how do you make? Yeah, that work? but I mean, but like are. The thing about it is like the hands Rob was talking about, right? Like the, the straight, like seven, four offsuit, right? Do you really want to be raising that? Right. I don't know. Right. But, but you're, you know, and it's the kind of hand where like, I don't know, for half a blind, I can put it, I can, I can call here. Maybe I hit a straight, maybe I hit two pair, but if I don't, and he doesn't raise from the big blind, I can lead out and win this hand anyway. So it's, it's exactly. those kind yes. of hands that, that, 
that make a lot of sense. Hell, if you hit a four, you can lead out yeah. because right. it's hard to make a pair. Yeah. Right. And if all he's done is called, you know, is limped, you know, is just, um, he's just checked, you know, yeah. checked it back. Well, you know, he doesn't have anything. And so one pair on a board like that, I mean, if you hit a seven or a four, you're probably golden. You yeah. can go out and bet that out. And uh, it, it has a lot more. See, I, I know what you're saying, Jim, you'd like to just raise and get it over with, but, you have the potential of actually making more money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, by limping some of those little hands and, and it's only costing you half a blind to do it. Yeah. Right? So you limp some of those small hands. And if you happen to hit something, let's say you hit, you know, let's say that you hit a five, six, eight flop and he's got right. eight, six. I mean, you're, Hey, you're, you're printing money now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yep. And I think, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, the, the range generally. I know we go down these rabbit holes. Adam, our, yeah, we our, our we original poster, we we're not even getting to the question. That By the had. way, <laughs> Adam's in the big blind in this hand. Just, just for reference. <laughs> <laughs> but carry on, Jim. Let's yeah. talk about the small blind some more. <laughs> so, all right. So I want to get into this a little bit. So we're talking about how we're going to raise with our premiums. We're going to raise with other hands that have a high blocker and garbage, like the King three offsuit, stuff like that. We're going to, we're going to raise with some of our like suited connectors and suited broadways and stuff. We're going to limp with our hands like seven, four offsuit, seven, 10 offsuit. What are we folding? Is it anything? Are we, are we just continuing with a hundred percent or are we actually folding anything? And if no, so, I, what are those? And things? that's why I, I love the, the Tommy Angelo thing, the waiting for straighters too. Like I, like nine deuce, nine, yeah. four, those are gone. Like get rid of I it. want, uh, so if it doesn't have a really high card in it, or it doesn't have the capability of making a flush or a straight on a flop, it's gone for me. I'm yeah, so you might be 65%, you might be playing 65% of hands, but there's still that 35% of really crap that you're going to fold no matter what. Right. And I, I think it might actually be less than that, uh, mathematically, the way we're talking about it, because we're, we're really talking about like offsuit, you know, offsuit hands that don't have a high card or connectedness. And then we've already pointed out on a previous episode that if, if a hand has a 10, there's a lot of straights that can hit. So we're basically, that is a pretty small, that is a pretty small chunk of range that we're folding there, which is cool, which is the way I like to play. (laughs) (laughs) Wide ranges, right? Okay. Have we not heard from Jonathan Lill yet today in over the course of this episode? Oh my God. We've, we've done a great disservice to the poker community. Hold on just one sec so we can rectify that. Ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with Ace-King when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. And I heard from Jonathan that if he catches anybody guessing or stressing, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be a problem. So don't guess, don't stress, just go do what the man says. And like, honestly, save yourself some trouble. You don't want to get this guy mad. All right. So 
Um, as Chris points out, our, our correspondent Adam is not in the small blind. Uh, he's in the big blind. So we're kind of shaping what is, you know, from their perspective. In fact, Chris, you're going to love this. The funniest part about this is they don't even describe the preflop action. I'm not <laughs> sure we can tell you whether they limped well, or opened the small blind. By yeah. the pot, okay, you can okay. tell good, point. good point. Good point. Good <laughs> point. So, I, I well, you got you guys tell me right now. Should we go into the hand, or do you want to just save this for like a part two, while we talk the first one about opening raising ranges from the small blind, and then on part two talk about uh, ARW's actual post. What What do you guys think? Totally live live well, call right now. And then I think our our new motto could be, you know, come listen to the forum podcast where we ignore your post for the first one and then answer it in the second one. <laughs> it's kind of, it's well, kind of becoming a theme. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's a blind versus blind. So we have to talk about that dynamic. So now we've laid the groundwork to know that the small blind is going to limp the type of hands that we just talked about him limping. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. So and this is perfect. It works out perfect for the post. And let, let me talk about this because, okay, so now we're in the big blind. The small blind has limped to us. This is also a spot where, where I think we have to decide what do we check back and what do we raise. And again, what I like in these spots is to sort of divide up my, my hands between the hands that I'm going to, unlike the Tommy Angelo ones, the ones I'm going to raise are the ones that uh, I either want to get a lot of chips in because I've got really strong value or really strong whatever, or I could care less if I have to eject this hand. And our correspondent has 10-4 offsuit. This might be a raising candidate for me. Um, I, I like raising this better than like 10-9 offsuit. I'd like to just see a flop with 10-9 offsuit or 10-8 offsuit. Um, this, this is now you gotta, you gotta sort of figure out because if you're going to raise every garbage offsuit hand, right. you're going to be raising a lot. Right. So, but this is one that I, I like raising with tens. They're, they're, they're a, an interesting card. They're right in the middle. They're probably, they're going to have a lot of blocker value potentially on like some straighty boards and some things like that. So if you actually raise and get called, um, it's not that bad, but it's also one where, where, uh, if you get re-raised, you can easily get rid of it without giving it a second thought. So this, this is the type of hand that I might raise as a bluff. I like that. I mean, I just like, I just think it's such a sexy concept. I, I remember when I was learning poker, when I was sort of evolving as a player, the notion of three betting the bottom of your range just blew my mind, right? It's like, it just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just such a beautiful part of the strategy of poker and using those kind of garbage hands to make money when other people won't is something that, you know, we don't appreciate how valuable it is. The times that players fold middle strength hands, um, because those are what, what everyone makes money with good hands. Everyone loses money with bad hands. If you can make your opponents fold better hands than you, that's kind of how you make money in poker, right? And otherwise, not making bigger mistakes, you know, winning more when you win, losing less when you lose. But ultimately, if the part of your range that's not very good can extract value from the parts of other people's range that is better than your range, that's, you know, that's that's skill. That's not just math working in your favor. That's and not just a lot of This is averages. especially true if you, 
if you think that uh, you have an opponent who is just limping, mm. like they, that they don't have value in their limping range, mm-hmm. then I think you can you can start to raise these kinds of hands with absolute impunity. And they're just mm. going to fold to you. And it's yeah. kind of awesome. It is. It's a great feeling, isn't it? It, it is. It's like, uh, yeah, it's part of one of the things that I don't know about you guys. One of the things I love about poker is this sort of, uh, you know, my opponents are trying their best to beat me and I'm just taking them to the woodshed. Like I just, I guess I'm getting older and this is my only uh, competitive arena that remains. But uh, I mean, that's what, that's what makes me love this game so much among many other things, of course. I think it's very, very seldom that, that the big blind actually raises you when you limp in the small blind. It's such a small portion of times that that happens. So that if I if it's happened to me at least once, the next time I limp with the small blind, I'm going to have a hand. Yeah, that's that can definitely call a raise, if not re-raise over the top of them. Otherwise, I'm not going to limp to this person anymore. The minute he raises once, I'm probably not going to limp against him anymore because I don't want you know that to continue to happen. So I'm going to make sure that if he does it once, the next time he does it, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we talked about this earlier, right? Like this is a spot yeah. where villain villain uh, tendencies is really important. Yep. And I, yep. I've even got a stat on my HUD, not on the rec poker HUD, because there's only room for so many stats on the rec poker HUD, but on the give Taylor Moss a seizure, um, the comprehensive <laughs> HUD that I put out there, I've got a stat up there that is just how does the big blind respond to small blind opens? And if they fold a lot, that's going to really influence how I choose to play that position. Um, and if they don't fold a lot, that is also going to impact that. So, you know, data, it's all about, it's all about just like finding out how does your opponent tend to respond and then uh, put them, put them in a tough spot. Use, use the cards, use the range, use position, use whatever you can use. All right. Well, uh, Okay, so I guess we got to actually talk. <laughs> so as played. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Take us through it, pal. As played, we get a, a, a limp in or a complete in from the small blind. The big blind, our hero with 10-4 offsuit checks. Um, and the flop comes jack 4-3 rainbow. And the small blind leads into a pot of about 200 and some, uh, 120. So leads a little bit more than around half pot. And I mean, it's, it's not like we're sitting back there with 10-4 thinking, I can't wait to see a great flop for us, right? So like most of the time, we're going to get to the flop and feel pretty bad about it. Um, when the flop comes jack 4-3, that's actually kind of an above average flop for us. For sure. <laughs> so Hard to make a pair. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to make a pair. You said it, Rob. It's hard so, to make middle pair with a four, too. So like, we're yeah. exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> So I think in some cases, you know, we might look down and say, I've got 10-4, the flop came jack 4-3, like this just isn't a spot to continue with, but that's an absolute way of thinking about hand strength. And we're talking about these blind versus blind situations, particularly in the limped pot. Um, I think you kind of have, you know, a responsibility to the math to continue with your hand here a little bit, to think of it as better um, than, a, than just a garbage hand. So um I'm not folding, I don't think, in this spot when they open. And, and, and I, one of the weird things about these ranges is that you get to a point where it's like, how big do they have to bet before I fold, given that 
I'm just not giving them any respect, no matter what they do here. Right. Chris, do you have an insight into that? Because like, how does the sizing affect? Cause you, when I said we're not folding, you were like, Oh, we're not folding. But um, if he bet like three times as much, we, we'd consider it. Right. Like where's the line drawn? How do we decide? Yeah. If I mean, if I, for me, if they over, yeah, if they over bet the pot, I'm maybe considering it, but I, I don't think I am on this board yet. I'm not willing. I, I'd probably call a pot size bet on a Jack four, three rainbow board with 10, four. Um, because they can, ha- they, we can still be ahead of a lot of their hands. Um, they can have, you know, some, some hands around the Jack. They could have like queen 10, you know, some backdoor, you know, flush kind of stuff, or they could have, five six or five seven or six seven some gut shots there's a lot of hands that we're ahead of that uh it's gonna be have to be a really big bet for me to fold in the with this action yeah i think so too i think so too it's just it's it's, it's we talked to the beginning it's kind of just it's it's one of the functions of that dynamic right and again yeah. and again it's villain dependent right yeah, I was going to say there's that. some villains that are not going to bet unless they have a jack. Yeah. Right. Right. And then it's an easy fold. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. I think so too. Uh, um, yeah. So the turn, so we call, and the turn is a four. Hello. We like That's that. That's pretty good. We like that. Um, and I'm never folding now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, and this is, a, this is interesting um, at the small blind checks and then we elect, so let's see, what is the pot now? We've got probably, uh, probably around 460, 480, something like that in the pot. Um, so again, we get about a half pot. We get a 250 half pot bet from um, our, oh no, from us. We bet, we bet about half pot. Um, after the small blind checks. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that? When they check, it's, a, it's again, it's a function of the dynamic. I feel like they're displaying weakness. We should be bluffing a lot here. And so I want to also include some value hand. This is the way I, <laughs> this is the way I think about it. I'm like, I want to be bluffing here a lot. So I also have to have some value hands and we should be like choosing our sizing to, to accompany that. So, um, cause most of the time we're not going to have a four here, but we're still going to want to take it away from our opponent. So they've made a pretty good bet pre-flop or on the flop, but they really, they really have capped their range by checking the turn. I don't think they're checking a lot of jacks there, right? So what's our actual var- value target here with the with trip fours? Just like just generally their range, <laughs> the range that probably bets. probably draws. Yeah. I think you're you're gonna you're targeting draws. You want to keep them in with the draw, but you want them to price them where the draw where if they call they're making a mistake. But I think you can do that and they'll still call most of the time. I think you can choose that bet size. So now if he's got a, is there, is there a flush draw on the board? No, it's entirely rainbow. Okay. So 
the only draw that he could really have would be a straight draw. Yeah. And so he so could have five, six most, or something like that. Five, seven. Right. So eight, eight outs, right? Um, so you don't really have to bet that much to price him off of a call. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I like that. I think that's smart. So the, as played, um, the river comes a seven and continues the rainbow. Uh, let me just get down to the line here. Well, I can't continue the rainbow unless there's five suits. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, good yeah. point. Nothing comes in, I guess. He said he way, said so. rainbow, but I think he just meant there's there's no flush. There's no flush. Yeah, there's thank no you. Flush. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It continues a rainbow. I'm going, wait a minute, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That it's is one shamrock. fancy rainbow. It's the seven of stars. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, let me just get to this here. Blah, blah, blah. So, the, and then uh, the other player shoves the river. So check, we're in. Checks, check shoves. Yes. So uh, I think yeah. this is a really interesting spot. So he checks uh, and we bet and then shoves. And, and that is a really interesting spot because we we feel like absolute hand strength. We've kind of got this all wrapped up. There is a straight on the board. And of course, there's a full house anytime there's a set. But um, we've got to be feeling pretty good about this, about this hand as played, right? Uh, yeah, except, I mean... It is. It is. A, it is a spot where we just talked about what are the hands that they're doing this with, and it's a lot of those draws, and like the biggest, most blazing, bright sky flare <laughs> draw is five six, right? Yeah. And I feel like five six would play like this, so that's what it's clearly what villain either has or is representing. And that's that's one of the points I know we've taken a very circuitous route to get here, but this is one of the things that our friend Adam does so well in these posts is uh, going through the combos and laying out people's range mathematically. And so he just looks at it right on the flop. Uh, combos of sets, combos of two pair, top pair, trips, straight draws. And you can see just by looking at it. Um, oh, for God's sake, John Somsky. You know I'm in the middle of trying to make a point here. Uh, well, and it and then how does how does the action then um, bear out those those reads right mm. or those combinations? Um, which combinations check on the turn? Right. You know, right. probably the the the, uh, the sets don't check because the sets nope. just made a full house. Yeah, sets don't check. And I I'm not even sure a jack checks on a jack four three four right. board. Maybe they do. Maybe the the paired board slows them down a little with the jack, but I would actually I think that you probably should be betting your jacks there, and then if you get blown off it, then you know maybe you make a decision then. But um, if you've got a jack there, you still rate to have uh, the best hand a lot. All right, so we take the jacks out of his range, and we take all the sets out of his range. What does that leave mm -hmm. that you're gonna? Yeah. So yeah, if you do that. The only hands really that he could do what he did would be three, seven or five, six. Yep. Or maybe another four. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, good, yeah. Good, good point. He could good have point. the the last four in the deck. Would he check the four on the? Yeah, that's a good turn, question. Though? I don't know. You know, you're gonna want to try yeah. to get. You're right. More value we, on we've just turn. called. Maybe, maybe yep. we don't. Maybe we don't see a lot of checkbacks with our or checks on the turn with the four. So that That's when the we do, when we do, you always get know that here. Uh, yeah, go on ahead. the turn, on the turn is where you need to make your value. So if you have a hand, you want to make your value on the turn. So if he doesn't have a hand, that's when he's going to be checking. When he has that type of draw, that's when he's going to be checking. Yeah, yeah and sense. when we get when we get check shoved on, um, that's a pretty. I mean, that's that's you know, what are the bluffs? I guess what are right. the bluffs are. Uh, what are the bluffs? What are the well, bluffs? This here? is what I. This is why I like these posts by ARW because like he's so methodical about the range as it progresses through the hand, and like if you're consistent about assigning the range. You can just look at the combos on the flop, look at the combos on the turn. As you as you take these hands out of the player's range as they continue through the action, you'll see there's just only so many combos left. Most of them are in these value-heavy spots. And it's remarkable because we started with two limp, like two limping players with extremely wide ranges. But by the time we look at the action, and this is something that like Chris Jones leads, uh, in the focus every month using Flopzilla and, and tools like that to help range our opponents and remove combos from their range as they proceed through, through action points. And even when you start with very wide ranges, if you're thoughtful about the action, uh, you'd be surprised how narrow you can get that range by the time you get to a, a final decision point on the river. So Chris, any, what do you think? Are there, are there enough bluffs in that range to feel like it's a, it's a decision because the way we talk about it I now, mean, it, we're standing there with trips. There's only one straight on the board, but we're like, it feels to me like it almost has to be. And I don't know that that our villain would do this, but I, like the bluffs have to be sevens that are turning themselves into a bluff, right? It's like the right. five seven. It's like six seven, something like that. Or maybe we can. Maybe I guess this is a this is a total limp pot. So maybe. Can small blind have like six deuce or five deuce or something like that? Can unplug it. Yeah, I and mean, I suppose those can be those can be the bluffs. But you know, a lot of people will fold six deuce. Even <laughs> even not Rob. No, that's a straighter, baby. You're not folding that. <laughs> But I don't oh. know. This is a tough call. I I don't know what I would do with this. Yeah. Um, and it makes me. It, uh, what I was wanting to ask was, is this a river? Yes, we have trip fours, but is this a river that we should uh, check oh, back? Interesting. Interesting. Because what are we when we bet? What are we hoping to be? I guess we're hoping to be called by a jack, right? We're hoping that they check called a jack, and then and then check the jack on the turn. Then check the jack on the river and are gonna are check calling with their jack on the river. Well, they they checked on the turn also. Right, right. So we're hoping to get check called twice with a jack. 
<laughs> pretty narrow range there given their yeah, given yeah. the wide range that they started the hand with right right the only other thing is and i don't know if it's just me incorrectly doing this actually uh is i never give credit to anyone in the blinds and yeah. that seems to be more likely or uh, more common i should say so it seems like they might be betting with more air. Um, there might be a reason to bet your four, your set, because you've got, they won't believe you and then the, they might call. Um, but I don't know if this is just a perception I have or a bad habit that I have, or <laughs> if there's anything to that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty common though, too. You, it's hard to give credit to anybody have, actually having a hand in the blinds. Yeah, because it's especially limped, limp, limp. So what could they possibly have? Anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we fall into this trap of, you know, we see these flops like not this one, but we see a flop like, you know, four five, seven. And we're like, oh, well, that that opening that that blind has such a wide range. They're smashing that. And it's like the fact that the fact that they have a wide range doesn't mean that they just smash every bad flop for every, they, they've got other combos in their range yeah. that don't smash that flop. Um, maybe that wasn't a good example of a flop, but you know, wide ranges just don't do well post flop period. Um, there's some boards that they're better for, but, but generally they just have a bunch of air. So your, 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 your best tool is still to get them to fold. Um, unless, unless you've got exactly that kind of hand that wants, you know, a call from from second best but that's not that's not that's not likely okay well again i'm not sure adam's going to feel very satisfied by the answer that we gave uh over the course of the episode but i think we did get into some uh some good stuff there and i, I i'm very surprised at how sort of confidently we were able to range our opponent down to that although adam wouldn't be surprised because he says in his post at the bottom in game, I came to the conclusion very quickly that the villain had 6-5 and rivered straight. It was the best possible draw on the flop, which our villain bet. Um, and it makes sense to check behind and uh, check on the turn. So he goes into all these great uh, points in here about how that is true. And then, of course, calls be anyway, because we have to, like, see it to know, right? That's part of the <laughs> – we want to be sure. And he was right. He was right. Yeah, I was right. I win. I win the game of guessing correctly my <laughs> opponent's cards, right? And that's what we're doing after all, right? <laughs> I, I do that all the time, and I keep telling myself, like, it's okay, Jim. You're just practicing now. When the time comes, you'll use all this savvy of knowing that you're right, and you won't call when the, when it really matters no, because you will. <laughs> <laughs> we'll it's see. Hard, hard to fold trips. Yep, that's yep. right. Never, yeah. Well, it sure is. I'm not sure we're going to get to a better point than that to to wrap things up. So unless someone has some additional insight to share with the group, I do think it's hard to fold trips and. Uh, uh, I think all said and done. Well, thanks for sticking with this group. Uh, Adam, cheers, and thanks for writing. Website AMP, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Rob, John, Chris, thanks everybody. We'll see you again soon.